0: My goodness. Well, would you tell somebody, what on earth are you here for? Just, just ask, what are you here for? All right. Amen. If you've got to shrug your shoulder, that's okay. We're going to figure this out together. You can be seated in the presence of God. We're so delighted that each of you are here. Oh, Amen. And we, co- we are convinced, absolutely, that you're at the right place at the right time. I want that to be more than just a mantra or a chant or a notion or a cute phrase. There's something in your spirit that says, man, I almost missed it, but I am here because God has appointed me here, and I know that there's something here for me, not only for me to receive, but also to give to the kingdom. My name is Pastor Gerald and we welcome you here to New Life Austin Oak Park. We're one of 24 current locations in the city of Chicago and surrounding suburbs. We have six international locations and we're believing God to continue to advance his kingdom here on earth and I want to say to you each one welcome uh, to the house of God. Well we've been going through this journey started last week with it and And we have been really trying to answer some key life questions. And those questions are really centered around the who, the what, and let's see what we got here, and the why, right? Um, And we we want to, to answer the question, I know you think the question we're gonna ask is on the easel I don't want to mess with you a little bit. It's actually over here. Uh, Like, what is your calling? Why am I on earth? And what is it that I'm supposed to be doing while I'm here? I am confident that there are so many people who are in the faith who believe that a calling is designed just for a select few people. It was like, well, if you are a person and you're called to go overseas, you're a missionary, you're called to go far and beyond, or if you are uh, a preacher or a pastor, a Uh, Or a minister, you've been called to stand in front and deliver the word. But something tells me that every single person who gives their life to Jesus Christ, there is a call on your life. So I need you to get used to embracing this. So, would you just say, I am called? We're going to convince you about that in a moment. Just work with me for a minute, but I am called. You are called. We are called, and we have a mission in order to respond to that particular call. We've been working through the book of Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7 looking at the story of Gideon to see if we can connect with Gideon in some way to see how God helped him identify his, who he was. Also, what was his calling? Next week we're going to talk about what's that challenge? What, what is it that are those obstacles that stand in front of you? Judges chapter 6, I want to start with verse 25. Let me give you a quick context just in case you might have missed last week or in the middle of all the things that happened a week, we kind of forget. But the people of Israel were going through an extremely difficult time. They were experiencing a seven-year famine imposed upon them by another nation called the Midianites. We discovered that that famine was pretty all-inclusive. It forced people out of their homes, the inability to raise crops. As soon as they had something that they thought was edible, this group, this nation would descend upon them like a swarm and snatch things from it. They were in a desperate place. And when they were in a desperate place, they cried out to God. How many of you know that that's what we tend to do? When we're in a desperate place between a rock and a hard place, we do what? We cry out to who? We cry out to God. Well, they were just like that. They're just like us and we're just like them. Cried out to God. How many of you cried out to God this week? Say, God, I need some help. God, I'm perplexed. This thing is beyond my understanding. Crying out to God. When they were in that situation and God sent them an answer, he sent them a prophet. to said, I'm going to tell you why you're going through this very difficult time. It's because you have turned your back on me. I made a covenant relationship with you. God's serious about his covenant relationships, even if we aren't. Right? And he said, if you would make sure that these 10 commandments you honor, but the chief of them is that you should have no other gods before me. And they violated that agreement. They raised up other gods and worshipped them. And God says, well, because you have been stiff-necked and resisting my love for you, I am turning you over to your wicked ways and the consequences that come with it. So for seven years, they struggled. I mean, mighty lead. And God raised up this guy named Gideon. Gideon was in a place where you normally can't get much productivity and fruitfulness. He was trying to to thresh some grain in a wine press, and we discovered a little bit last week of what that was, And, 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 and he engaged in this conversation with a theophany, the presence of God, in the form of an angel. And when he engaged in that conversation, the angel said, you are a mighty man, and uh, Gideon said, "I'm not very mighty, my, my tribe is small, my family is small, and I'm small." Anybody ever deal with the issue the identity of smallness, insignificance, unworthiness, lack of value and purpose, right? And that's what He said, but God saw more in him than he saw in himself than anybody else around him saw, and he called him a mighty warrior. He changed and rearranged his identity. And last week, we took time to embrace that opportunity, and we wrote down some name badges and re- redefined ourselves the way that God redefined them. We s- stood in front of a mirror and said, okay, God, this is who you say you, I am. I'm gonna agree with you, and I'm gonna walk in that purpose this week. How many of you had to recall this week upon your new identity? How many of you had to call it back to remembrance about like, yep, God says I'm a warrior, so I guess I better fight? Anybody have to kind of reconnect with that this week? Amen. Well, so that's the backdrop of verse 25. He brought an Gideon brought an offering to to the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord proved that he was God himself. He burned up that offering and it disappeared and left Gideon stunned. It's a weird connection that day but what happens that night verse 25 if you have judges 20 uh judges chapter 6 verse 25 would you just stand with me in honor of god's word and we just want to look at these next few verses try to unpack them for a moment try not to be with you too long but hopefully enough to be able to receive what god has for us verse 25 now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old. Tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God, on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. Take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Amen? Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. What's your calling? What's your calling? Here is the scenario. I need to unpack this for a moment so we can connect to it. Gideon had just had an encounter with God. He had this thing running through his mind. I just lost all my meat. Uh, I lost the piece of bread that I was going to enjoy. But I'm satisfied because I realized I finally got a word from God. I've been asking God these questions. We as a nation of God have been asking these questions. And I got a very direct response. Can you imagine? Have you ever had like a really... A serious encounter with God, and you knew it was God, it just left something on your mind, it left something in your spirit, and nothing else at that point in time you could really think about. You're just really enamored by wow, I just had an answer from God. I just had a connection with God. There was something unique that was happening at this moment, and that night I imagine Gideon, it says in that same night, I imagine Gideon sitting in his bed with his hand behind his head just sitting there, staring up into the darkness, and there's this new conversation that erupts, and it says, And now it came to pass that same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull. God's very specific. It's the second bull, and it's the one that's seven years old. Tear down the altar of the bell that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in proper arrangement." God has given him some crazy instructions. He is calling him into the place of what it means to be a warrior. He's calling him to a place of courage. God's not going to give you a new name and not expect you to fulfill that name, right? And so God says, Gideon, what I need you to do is I need you to go into your father's house and identify the second bull, the one that's seven years old. That is as long as his whole famine has been. Somehow, this bull had been spared from all of the rage that the Midianites have had. It's been preserved, and there's probably very few bulls in the land. God said, I want you to take your daddy's bull. I want you to take that bull, and I want you to use tie rope to it, and I want you to take this altar. There's an altar that was was built to a false god called Baal. Now, Baal was one of those gods, they call him kind of like the sun god, right? And uh, he was kind of an angry god, and he needed to be appeased and satisfied a lot, in fact, What he required is that you take your oldest child, probably your man child, sacrifice him on this altar. You would slit his throat, let the blood run out, and then you would burn the child in honor to Baal so that Baal would be appeased and pleased and satisfied, and then he would bring good things to pass. Man. about somebody you got to be committed right think about your child i know you may think man my child get on my nerve but you probably would never never take that child you may think about it right (laughs) take that child and sacrifice it on the altar like that what state do you have to be in to go from a God who had provided miracle after miracle to God of the Old Testament, how far left do you have to go from him to a God who demands your firstborn child on sacrifice? So when Gideon was looking at this altar, there was a lot of blood of firstborn children on this altar, where people had really made serious commitments to say, we are going to worship and honor this God. Then next to this altar was a long pole. They call it an asterisk pole. This particular pole uh, was representative of the God of fertility, the God of fruitfulness, the God of blessing, the God of love, the God of prosperity. And they were almost like a husband-wife couple. One worked with the other, one really angry, one really mad, one so loving and fruitful and so forth. And, they are, and you had to bring all kinds of goods and all of your baskets and you had to worship and dance and sing. And all of that was part of your daily life, hoping for something good to come. And for seven years plus, this is how they engage their spiritual worship. They ignore the God of heaven, they ignore the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they embrace this God, or these gods. God says, now, Gideon, I know that you grew up with this kind of cultural background, but what I need you to do is take this bull, tear these altars down. But these altars don't belong to you, they belong to your daddy. Stuff I'm asking you to do belongs to the one who's over you. Now, his dad was kind of the chief priest of the Baal and Asterisk worship. He was responsible for making sure that everybody had the opportunity. He was a custodian of this. That was his job. Let me see if I can see if I can unpack it a little bit. It's like God saying to your child, What I need you to do is take your family car, right? And your family house, and your family pet. All right? Let's put all this together. All right? I need you to take your family car, run it into your family house, break the house down, right? Take the family dog. Lay it on top of the roof, throw some gasoline on that bad boy, light it on fire and sacrifice it. How do you think your family's gonna feel about that? Right? I need you to understand the gravity of what's happening here. But that's, just, that's kind of a more personal. Let, let's, let's make this citywide. How many of you have ever been to the Bean before? It's a pretty nice icon, right? When people think about Chicago, they kind of think about the Bean. Maybe. How many of you ever been to? Let's see, uh, this, the Hancock Building, because it's not the Sears Tower anymore. So I gotta—I don't remember the name of it, but Hancock Building. That's still called Hancock Building, isn't it? The Willis Tower. All right, yeah. One of those two big buildings. All right, thank you. All right. So what I need you to do i, I want you to picture, right? Find a way to take one of those big buildings and implode it, break it down. Okay. Take the beam and just push it over, melt it down, and mess it up. Can you imagine the kind of problems you're going to have, right? You're going to jail. (laughs) It's going to probably be a lot worse than that, right? I want you to understand the gravity of what's happening. So God... Tells Gideon, I call you a mighty warrior, so now let's get to work. Now I need you to tear down these huge icons, and then I need you to build out of the rubble an altar to me. And I want you to arrange it so people know that when they see this altar, this altar is in honor of me. There was a specific way that they were to build this altar and how it was to be done. So it was clear, like, this is an altar for Baal and this is an altar for God. So Gideon is like, man, I know I had this encounter with God earlier. It was just this morning. It was really weird. I know this is God's voice. He is calling me to do this thing. And so he chooses in the middle of the night. It's probably really smart, by the way. You wouldn't knock down the Willis Tower or the being in the middle of the day, and he finds 10 of his guys, 10 trusted guys, and he executes this request before the Lord. The first thing that's required in order for us to walk into our calling is that we have to have some bold breakaways. It is not possible to live out your calling with one foot in what you used to be and how you used to be and another foot in where you are supposed to go. It's either all or nothing. You have to have some bold Breakaways. It cannot be confusing to you or to anybody else. And so God will invite us in our calling to pull away, to break away from all that we held dear. Sometimes it may mean a bold breakaway from relationships. Hello. People you're used to hanging with. People are used to hanging with you, things that you do that are really familiar. Some of those bold breakaways may mean even leaving current places of employment. Bold breakaway. Sometimes that bold breakaway means moving from your place. I tell you, when God called me to to to, to ministry, I could have stayed in Virginia. In fact, I really would have liked to stay in Virginia. To families, what I know. I know you think. Everybody in Virginia is really country. I moved to Chicago, I'm like, oh man, how are the cows out there? Uh, what? All right, so, but when God called me, He said, leave your mother and your father, your sister, your brother, your family connections and relationships, your history, your legacy. Walk away from that to a place that you don't know anybody. And then I want you to learn how to do my work. Follow your call because I have called you, but it required for me a bold breakaway. What is God asking from you? You're going to live out your call as a bold breakaway. And there were three action steps. Take, tear down, and build. Take, tear down, and build. Say it with me. Take, tear down, and build. Take your dad's bulls, take your dad's stuff, stuff that was part of your history and your background. Take that, tear it down, and then I need you to build something new. Embrace it. Then he says, use the broken pieces. Verse 26. And build the altar to the Lord your God. I like those pronouns. You know, the, the joy of Scripture is not always in like the, the big pieces. Sometimes it's the small pieces that really reveals a lot. He says, the Lord your God. Somewhere along the line, God noticed that in Gideon's life there was a little bit of faith and a little bit of focus towards the one true God. And maybe that was a thing that was a distinction that God says, I can use this guy. Because even though he lives in the house where his dad is the custodian of this false worship and the one who fans the flames of this false identity, there is still this one guy. He's little peep-squeep and a nobody to everybody else's eyes. He's a little David, right? He is somebody that's just obscure and nobody's going to pay attention. I see a seed of faith and relationship in this young man named Gideon. So when God looks at you, what will he find? He's not interested in the show. He's not interested in what everybody else sees. He's not interested in titles and sting of how we would honor ourselves or even how everybody else would honor us. Will he find a seed of faith and relationship in your heart that says, God, if you open up an opportunity for me to honor you and obey you, I'm running through it. Just verify that it's you calling me. So, he says... Build an altar to the Lord your God and on top of this rock in proper arrangement. Take the second bull offering a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. He says, "Oh God says, okay, take this bull that you tore it that tore the altar down with and I need you to rebuild an altar. Take that same bull, by the way. He wasn't dealing with two bulls. It was just the same bull, the one, the second bull seven years. He took that bull he said, I need you to put it on the altar. When you sacrifice it, take the rubble of your past and build an altar of worship before God. Take the rubble of your past and build an altar of worship before God. That's tweetable, right? Here's the deal: everything about your life, everything about your life has purpose in God's sight. He does not discard your story, your history, your past. He says, I just want to use it as an altar of worship. Will you let me take the rubble of your life? We've got to tear down some stuff, but we're going to rebuild it. But will you let me take the pieces of your life and build an altar of worship that has a sweet aroma in my sight? Will you let me do that? So he does it. I like what happens next. Verse 28. And when the men of the city arose in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wood image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. The tense, the, the, the verbs, the tenses. First thing, this tells you how serious they were in their worship of Baal. Soon as morning came, the men got up, And the first place they looked, the first place they focused their eyes, the first place their heart led them to to pay attention to was the altar to Baal and to the Astros Pole. Maybe it was the first thing they did to say, We're going to give you our first attention, our focus and our energy but when they looked to the place where that temple was, I mean, that, that, that altar was and that pole was they noticed that it was gone and in its place was just smoke the altar had the, the bull had not even yet been consumed the, the altar was still on fire and they looked and said what happened? So, you want to know, you want to know what, what you worship, here's a great indication. What's the first thing you focus on when you get up in the morning? That pot of coffee, hello, I can't make it without my coffee. My coffee is going to help me get through the day. Is it Facebook status? As soon as you pick, you, your eyes open. You want to know what somebody's doing, what somebody said. You pull it up, you got to look at it. Right? Is it like, I got to get something to eat? I'm so hungry. First thing you do, you bow before the altar of the refrigerator and you open it up like, ah, oh, let's eat. Maybe you got to, first thing you got to do, you got to pick up the phone call, you got to call somebody your friend, your family, somebody, what's the first thing you do in the morning is a great indication of where your heart's worship is, where your allegiance are, where your affections are, what's in your spirit, who are you bowing before? They looked and they saw the men became incensed, they were enraged. Verse 29, oh, by the way, some of these men had sacrificed their own sons on this altar. Some of them had given their very last on this altar. Some of them had high hopes pinned on Baal and Asterisk answering their last prayer they prayed the night before. Some of them had been up all night Hoping, wishing, and praying for this answer to come forth. And when they see that the very tool of their worship was gone, this is what they did. Verse 29, so they said to one another, who has done this? And When they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. The men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wood image that was beside it. Everything in their lives stopped. They were going to hold an inquiry. They want to get some answers. They were going to they, they were going to bring them before a panel of judges. They were going to go do an all points bulletin. We need to find out who is responsible for this atrocity in our city. We have no longer anyone. Now, they all heard the reason why they were in a famine because God was upset with them. But regardless, they were so entrenched in their false way of worship, they could not see another way forward so they were so angry, I'll tell you how upset they were, they were putting a death penalty on this situation. That the person who was responsible for it, we're not talking to, we're not having a conversation, we're not going to reason with, that person must die. So they stopped their work, they stopped their, uh, whatever they were doing, and they went on a serious manhunt. They inquired and they asked and they finally discovered and discovered it was this guy named Gideon. It says, he's got to die. And Joshua said to all those who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning, exclamation mark. There's a lot of tension in this, this neighborhood, There's a lot of tension in this city the only way they could see to solve this issue is put death threats and attach it to what was happening. When you choose to follow your calling, you choose to lay your life down. You also choose a place that may not be very popular and people may not like you. The things that God may call you to do will be wildly unpopular and wildly unsatisfying to yourself and to others. Are you willing? Like I said, the call is not just for a few. If you know the name of Jesus, I believe there's a calling on each of your lives. The issue with a calling is that not everybody chooses to respond. Will you respond when God calls you by name, Call gives you a new identity, and this is now let's start living out this new identity. You're going to have a choice. Some of us right now are sitting with a choice. God, the path that you're asking me to go down is really hard. Or, God, I hear what you're saying, but can you give me a little more insight on what it is that I'm supposed to be doing when I walk down this path? Then I'll decide I'm going to walk down it or not. Unfortunately, when God calls us, he doesn't break out the whole chart and description of saying this is what it's going to look like. Here are the hard times you're going to have. Here are the obstacles you're going to face. Here are the hardships that you're going to encounter. Here are the mountaintops you're going to have to overcome. Here are the things you're going to have to hurdle. He doesn't break all that down. He just says, will you follow me? So there's this tension taking place, and it centers on this one guy, Gideon, and that stands up. This is amazing. This talks about the love of of a father. I know my son took my only bull, burned it. I know he wrecked uh, the family business and destroyed this place of worship. But he says, if this God is truly the true God, he can defend himself. In fact, what kind of God is it that if you tear down his altar and his place of worship, that won't respond? And so, everybody agreed. Okay, that's fair. We won't touch Gideon. We're going to let the God that we have placed all of our hopes on deal with him. Yeah. And from that moment, they gave Gideon a new name. The name, verse 32, therefore on that day he called him Jerubbabel saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Gideon meant one who cuts down. Jerubbabel means one who fights against Baal. And all of a sudden, this this little guy whose name was cut down suddenly has a renewed identity. He is now called to fight as a warrior against the false god, the wickedness, and the principalities in the earth. Now let me pause here for a second, just in case you think demonic and spiritual beings are not real. I need to give you a complete understanding. Satan's real. Demons are real. Principalities are real powers are real, authorities in high places are real, they have one job, it's to dishonor God and to disarm and destroy those who follow God. Make no mistake, when you see all of these wizardries and spells and incantations that are on movies or in video games you think it's something to play with, you are playing with fire. oh, it's just just cool. We can just do it. You're you're entertaining. It is literally an act of worship. You cannot worship the one true God on one side and dabble and diddle and play with these false gods on another side. That's exactly what it is. God's not willing to compromise. He's a jealous God. He's willing. He's unwilling. If you're going to serve one, serve one. If you're going to serve me, serve me. If you're not, don't serve me and that. It's just unacceptable. I wish I had some time. That's a whole other sermon. And so, they watch Gideon. Gideon's moving through the day. And nothing's happening to him. He didn't get struck by lightning. He didn't fall in a ditch. He didn't get poisoned. He didn't bloat and get sick. He didn't die. In fact, nothing happened to him. And people are making up their minds like, wow, we've put all of our hearts and our lives and hard work into worshiping this God who cannot even touch this one God who destroyed him. When you get called and you start walking in your calling, people are going to observe your life. And they're going to see if all the hardships of this world would touch and destroy you. And when they realize that God has preserved you and keeping you in the midst of all of this mayhem, they're going to start making up their mind that they're God you serve is the one that's true and worthy to be worshipped. But they can't identify that unless they watch you first. And they can't watch you until you start responding to your call. And you can't respond to your call until you start listening to the voice of God. When God calls you, he asks you to do something, you do it. And then when you do it, it creates craziness. People start watching, and then they observe God in your life. Then they start worshiping him. You want to know why I think so many people can't stand God or God's people or the church? Because too many people are answering this question, why am I here on earth for, incorrectly. We're so busy serving ourselves with a little bit of God on the side. And they said, man, I see so much lukewarmness. I see so many people who name the name of Christ, but while I watch them across the street, I see them fornicating. I see them drunk. I see them stealing. I see them disobedient. I see them cussing people out. I'm not saying we got to be perfect, but this issue of holiness really has to become part of who we are and part of our identity. And we have lost that in the name of grace. Woo, Jesus, help me. People are checking out our character. They can't smell God. If they got up to our armpits and tried to see, is God around you anywhere? I can't even sense him in your life besides what you're saying. You walk around with a huge Bible. But can I read, hey, man, can I read Jesus in your life? Jesus, 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 God, forgive us. I'm convinced a lot of the famine and the mess in the land has a lot to do with those who name the name of Jesus but are unwilling to respond to the call. I need some help, somebody. Will you respond to the call? And so while this is happening, they're checking out Gideon's life. There's something else taking place while God is preserving Gideon on this one side. He's stirring up the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people from the east, large armies. He's stirring them up to come against Israel. And while he is creating a platform to show himself off and show his strength and his power, these armies are coming up and Gideon is over here doing his thing. And believe me, they realize in that land that there is this whole army coming up against them. You're going to know, we're going to know it's going to be on, on Fox. It's going to be on NS, NS, uh, CNN and NBC if all of China and Russia and some other nations decide to start coming up to our East Coast. You can start seeing them start marshaling. you were be like, whoa, what is going on? It's not going to be unknown. They watched this happening. Verse 33 And all the Midianites and the Milekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed up over and encamped the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet and the Abedzerites gathered behind him. They sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh who gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. While Gideon is responding to his call, he has the courage to blow the trumpet. And blowing the trumpet was not simply because he was playing jazz. He was blowing the trumpet because he was calling men to war. If you are a warrior, you're going to fight. And when you fight, you needed people to fight with you. You cannot fight alone. And so he is calling people, if you trust God like I'm learning to trust God, let's get our business on. Hear the trumpet. Gather your swords. Get yourself together. And nobody has blown the trumpet for seven years because they were too afraid to fight because they did not have the Spirit of God on them. Gideon didn't blow the horn until the Spirit of God empowered him to blow the horn. I'm going to need you to make the application because I don't have time. He blew the horn. But he needed a little more confirmation. God's okay with that. Preaching. so, Gideon says, oh, I've done it now. I heard the call. God called me a mighty warrior. I've done the things he said for me to do. I've blown the trumpet. Everybody's ready to fight. It doesn't feel like it's going to be a fair match. I'm a little worried. Before we do anything else, God, I just need to know this is you. I know we give Gideon a really hard time. because like, man, you know, there's this test that he uses, and he uses this fleece. Fleece was something like wool or some kind of cloth. He says, God, tonight, before tomorrow happens, before we get into getting ready for the battle, I just need, to, I need your confirmation. I need your confirmation. I need your presence. I need to know it's you. And If you move through life and you don't have the confidence that God is with you, you need to stop right in your tracks. Get a clear view of the God you say you're following. Because I would rather not go up from this place if God does not go with me. But if God is for me, then who can be against me? And so Gideon says, all right, God, here it goes. I'm going to take this fleece, this piece of cloth, I'm going to lay it out on the ground. I'm going to sleep next to it. And the first thing I need to know is that when I get up, that the fleece is absolutely wet, and everything around it. i got some electronics here. Worship team, don't shoot me. All right. I need to know that everything around it is dry. And by that, then I will know that God himself is leading me. He gets up the next morning. Well, I tell you something exciting about when you pray with anticipation, believing that God's going to hear you and respond. And so you can hardly go to sleep. But he went to sleep. He got up the next morning. He got up and sure enough, the thing was wet and the ground around it was dry. He was like, wow, look at God. Oh, wait a minute, God, wait a minute. I just need more confirmation because it's about to go down. Let's try it again. Take this one. I'm going to drop it down here. I go to sleep, I'm going to get up. I need this to be completely dry and everything around it completely wet. He went to bed and he woke back up and sure enough, bang, the ground was sopping wet just like it is outside now from all the rain. Totally dry. He had all the confidence he needed moving forward that God had instructed him, God had called him, and that God was with him. Now he can live out his identity. So here's my question for you. God is calling you, you're probably at a point of decision right now. I don't know what decision that you are in the midst of. Some of you are here for the first time and you're thinking, God, I need need you to show me something. I I sense you're calling me to do something in my life and I, I just need some insight, some clarity, and some confirmation that you're leading me. I wouldn't advise you to do this with every decision that you're making. But sometimes when the decisions are really heavy and life-changing, and not just for you, but for other people, you need some wisdom. You need some direction. You need the presence of God's. God with you, you need his confirmation. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes wherever you're sitting. The first invitation goes out to those who are here and you may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm gonna make this really simple. If you exit this life without giving your heart, mind, and entire person to following Jesus Christ, you will not make it to heaven. It's that simple. Your eternity is on the line. Your eternity is on the line. So the first invitation goes out to you. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, first thing I would invite you to do is confess your sins. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. The only way for you to live out the purpose for what you are here on earth for is start with a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are willing to confess your sins and choose to trust Christ with your whole life, I mean all of it without reservation, and you've never done that before, I'm going to invite you to simply raise your hand and stand to your feet boldly, quickly. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, but you know you need one and you want one, starting today, if that's you and your name is all over this message and you know you need a relationship with Jesus Christ, stand to your feet. Be bold, be bold, be bold. God's not looking for timid people. He's looking for bold people. Start your relationship boldly with Him. Is that you? Amen. I'm going to wait just a few more moments. This is an invitation for the rest of us who says, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're here today, and you're on the cusp of a serious decision. I don't know what that decision is. But you know you need insight from God, you need direction from God, you need the, the clarity of God's presence in your life. And you're at a fleece moment. Well, God, I just need confirmation from you. I'm just simply ask that you to come to the altar. Said, I, I, need, I need God to clearly make known to me these next critical steps of my life. I don't want to consult anybody but God. And that's you. You know exactly what it is that he's calling you forth for. I invite you to Come. Grab one of these so-called fleece. Perhaps you may need to lay it out before the Lord. It may not be quite the same way that Gideon did it, but this is serious business. Can we all stand to our feet? The heads bow. We might need to split it. Share it. I don't know what it is, what we're going to need to do. But this is a life-altering moment for you where you need confirmation from God about some stuff. You're getting ready to make some serious decisions. You see, since God is starting to call on you in some unprecedented ways and you're ready and willing to respond, but my God, if you go down this path, it's going to make some serious adjustments in your life and lives of people around you. And you know this in your soul, before you take another step in your confirmation, God, please, please help me consult you. There's nothing powerful about these pieces of cloth, it's just a towel.